It's all connected. This is the RussJohnson.com podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Baby, it is Russ Johnson, and it is all connected. I hope that you're getting that more and more as you listen to these podcast episodes, and I think you might walk away today with just a little bit of knowledge that you'll find very helpful. I want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine. His name is Rick Way, and we crossed paths through a mutual interest in Ram Dass. Now, for those who may not be familiar, Ram Dass was a spiritual teacher and a beacon of wisdom, often associated with Timothy Leary and their groundbreaking work with LSD in the 60s. However, our connection lies in the profound teachings of Ram Dass himself. His teachings resonated with both Rick and myself very, very deeply. Now, let me tell you, Rick is no ordinary individual. In fact, you could say that he marches to the beat of his own drum. I think there might be many who would think Rick and myself, for that matter, have drank the Kool-Aid. But if you'll listen to this podcast, you might walk away realizing that he's had some experiences that have shaped him in extraordinary ways. In this episode, we're going to explore Rick's transformative journey, one that led him on a sudden awakening that continues to shape his life and the lessons he imparts to this day. Trust me when I say Rick's insights run very deep. What fascinates me the most about Rick is how he managed to gain profound understanding in a matter of hours while it took me decades to even scratch the surface. Somehow he effortlessly assimilates and shares this wisdom and together today we're going to uncover the mystery behind his journey. So join me now as we delve into Rick's extraordinary experiences as I ask him about the impact that Ram Dass has had on his life. Well, I was looking for anything that matched my experience. And Ram Dass was one of the people that I'd always heard about, never really checked out. And so I did. And a lot of the things he was saying lined up with what I had experienced. And I pretty much listened to him every single night. Um, there's this 24-7 live stream of Ram Dass talks and every night I put it on and um, I think it's it's not really giving me new information but what it's doing is um, helping me helping to remind me to um, give me much better words I think for some of the ideas which is like the hardest thing I think for me he was finding like a non-contradictory way to explain any of this um, and make it make sense to people. And so he has uh, really been an inspiration for how and what to reveal. And What was it that he said that, I guess, like resonated so deeply with you? I'm sure there are a number of things that he said, but is there something that stands out to like, oh, he gets it. He just came a different way than I did to get here. Well, they, like you said, there are a number of things. I write them down sometimes, but, um, you know, I'll be laying in bed and I'll hear his voice and I'll, and this happens over and over again, where I've, during the day, I've encountered and put words to an idea that I was like, oh, this is a great way to look at it. And then that night I'll go to bed and I'll hear him describe it in such a similar way. Wow. And 
just makes me laugh. Um, I love his stories. I, I love his story about Gandhi um, getting on a train and a journalist runs up to him and says, Gandhi, Gandhi, give us a message to bring back to the people. And Gandhi said, my life is my message. And that had an impact on me because after awakening, I, I, you know, I was here um, and I had to deal with that and I had to learn a way to describe what I went through and what I know. And it never really worked. No matter how I structured the things that I said, nothing could really translate the experience. Nothing could convince anyone or get them to validate it. And I always recognized that looking for that validation was sort of heading in the exact opposite direction. But mm. when I heard Ram Das tell that story, it made me realize that the few times that I have been successful in translating something like this to my family and friends has been when I've just been it, when I have just cared more about embodying the, the oneness and the love and the understanding yeah. that I felt. And, yeah, well, you know, let, let me interrupt just to say that I think it's important that the listener knows that, uh, unlike my path, which was the contemplation many years and continuing path, yours happened quite suddenly. Your understanding, it's like it, boom, it's in your lap. And now you're dealing with it and you're looking for mentors, I guess, like Ram Das, And he's the one guy that came along that you're that you're uh, relating with. So continue. I just thought it would be important to, that everybody knows that's how it happened. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I. Despite having lost so many of the things that I was once desperate to lose, like fear of death or um, of having no purpose, not finding my way, all of that stuff. Um, there's a difficult period that comes after an awakening, especially if you're back in the world and you're no longer in an awakened state, quote unquote. Um, I can't even imagine. So I can't imagine that the, the day before you yeah, really, you're just <laughs> regular old, you know, yeah. you, and then, all of a sudden, in another moment, you are this, Rick. Wow. You even changed your name. It was just amazing. This was an, a, just a very deep spiritual experience for you, and it continues to be to this day. If I, When I watch you on Facebook, well, let me ask you, what, what do you think your purpose is now? And when I see you expressing yourself through your videos and things that you say, um, I see a message. What do, what do you see it as? I just think that we're all here to have a personal experience and my personal experience has been wild. And, um, every time I, I learn something new, I want to show it off and play it and take it to its, you know, biggest, it, the same sort of thing that we all, um, really want. And I, I just realized that it's all okay, that, that there's no, there doesn't need to be a purpose or goal or something to succeed in or this many people to enlighten or help or whatever. You, you just have to 
be okay. Yeah. I think you're very consistent with that. What, whatever it is, it's okay. Everything is perfect. Yeah. And so I know some things and it has really helped me and has made, um, the, the insane amount of suffering that most of us go through has made it just so clear, um, clearly a choice. And so I, I do feel like, wow, to expand on that a minute. It's clearly a choice suffering. Yeah. You know, the things that we think we want don't bring us happiness and the things that we think we hate don't actually bring us sadness. They're all just sensations. They're sensory experiences and we decide their impact by how we react to them. Definitions. So, yeah. And, um, so no matter what our circumstances whether we have everything or have nothing, we all come to the same conclusion eventually that the way we feel is entirely dependent on our own choice. And the world reflects that feeling. Like if we long for happiness, the feeling, the, the, the energy we're really putting out is that we don't have it. And so everything in the world, we're looking for opportunities to be happy. And so it's all just going to pale in comparison to that grand desire. And so the world appears dark and unfair to someone who's longing and searching for happiness in it. But if we choose to be happy, to accept how things are, to know that things are perfect because everything exists and it just, it all must exist. And then we go into the situations in our lives with that happiness. We can enjoy them endlessly um, because the world is really just a reflection of how we've chosen to feel and what we've chosen to see. When you don't recognize that, how is it unfolding? When I don't recognize like that. Not you, I, not you, but I, other people, when they're not aware, they don't have this awareness. Um, mm. Like you're, you, you're recognizing that basically the way I define what you're saying is that our thoughts are creating the experience, the way our definitions are creating the experience. But for people who are not aware of that process, how do you think this is unfolding? The reason I ask this question this way, and I don't know if you know the answer, but I've always been curious to know and understand the mechanics of God, how it works. I know it's there. I know it unfolds that way, as you have described. I recognize that. But I really want to know how it works. And my best understanding is just carrying energy. Well, um, energy is a, another sort of physical representation, but it's really just that everything is, um, a perception, you know, it's, we yeah, but call a perception it energy. is energy, right? And no, every, there is no, there are no physical objects. There's no physical space. There's I no, uh, every experience, a combination of sensations like it boils down to a combination of sensations we're not real it's an illusion it paints a picture of a reality and you feel that you can move in this reality because the perception of your body 
is a mixture of sensations. You, you feel the skin or the heaviness of the gravity. You feel the coolness of the air and the smell of whatever. And with all of those things combined, you have this very strong, very vivid sense that you're in a physical place, but it's virtual. And, and the computer running this virtual reality is a consciousness that is totally unbounded, that can experience every sensation in every variety and every manner of complexity from the smallest, you know, deviation in the atom in my finger to, you know, an entire alternate planet or world or whatever. It's experiencing it all at once. And so we go into our world and we have this amusement park of sensations. Someone comes up to us and yells at us and, you know, it implies this and it means, oh, the dean saw it and we might get kicked out of college. And these are all really stressful, important things um, when we're considering them in a life that we don't know is infinite. But they're all really just sensory experiences and literally how they feel how we feel about them, if we're miserable, if we're happy, if we physically feel pain or physically feel good, all of these things are driven by our belief, our focus. And we've gotten so used to just, this is bad, this is good, that we just automatically accept it and we run with it. But when you first start to play with those natural reactions, those conditions, and you stop in the middle of, of getting mad or making your point and you just say, I don't need to make my point right now. It's my decision. And I, I'm, I'm deciding that this, this circumstance, your misunderstanding, your dislike of me or whatever, that I can be okay with you feeling that way. And I'm just going to stop in the middle of it and see what happens. And when you do that, the way you see the world blossom before you, all of these moving parts that are, are like gravitating towards you like magnets, how these people react to it. it. Sometimes it stops them dead. Sometimes you get this random call from someone who's owed you money for forever. And you see these huge examples of how the world turns at your thoughts. Yeah, I agree Most with you. Testing mm -hmm. these things. Like we don't, we aren't even aware of our own intentions. We go into a situation and we think that we've got good intentions because we're holding the door for someone or whatever. But inside we are worried about how they'll see us. We want them to smile back. We maybe want to get their phone number and those expectations create a pressure on the situation that, that gives you those frowns and those smirks and scoffs and the walking away. And we're like, oh, the world is so negative, but we don't even realize that there's an element of our approach that was entirely selfish, that was putting them in a box and demanding that they play along. Yeah, that's a nice observation. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I think my trouble um, with doing these kinds of things is that I recognize that there's no way to communicate with you or anyone or, or exist without playing a character because I'm, you know, I'm aware of the inflection of every word that I say and the reaction that it will get, the meaning that it implies. And yeah. I know 
our identities are as flimsy as any imagined character. And so when you realize that you want to have some like base that's original, that's genuine, that isn't an act, that isn't a story. And when you start an interview like this is Rick way, he changed his name. He's got a great thing. He's you're putting me in this character box. And in order to have the insight that you're looking for, I used to feel like I needed to stay as far away from playing a character as I could. But as I recently realized with Johnny Depp, how I made a post about this, how he's so monotone. Um, he's so monotone because he's been acting for long enough that he realizes that when he comes back, he Johnny Depp was as much a character as anything else. And so now he doesn't want to overact his own identity, his own ego. And so he's monotone. But he doesn't realize that that is a character too. That being... Ram Das, um, that that whispering and being calm and holding prayer beads and having a beard, that that's a character too. And it might be more reserved and more thoughtful, but it's still a character. And I just realized that I can't avoid, I, if I, I can't, our language is so limited that I can't avoid implying some character or personality or opinion. So why not decide on a character and play it and have fun with it and not be married to it, not need it to <clears throat> thrive or whatever. I can just be Rick way, the, the comedy enthusiast who had an awakening and now likes to put those spiritual revelations into comedic context because he realizes that that's the way oh, yeah. we all get our anyway yeah man why not i mean that's what you're supposed to do anyway that's part of being human is is being a personality but that doesn't you know all this information that you've gained is is the only people who are going to understand it anyway are the ones who are ready for it you know it's it's not like all the weight is on your shoulders to uh, convince and help everybody understand so yeah it's just to, to grow that's all we can do individually and if it affects people along the way then it does what it does yeah. Yeah. So I've given myself a break and I, I'm okay. Not, I, I could pull from the depths, the perfect answer for every situation. If I had, you know, the appropriate time per question to do that. But I think it's just more fun if I, allow myself to get lost in the character and thus farther away from the awareness of oneness and maybe make mistakes and say things that give misunderstandings and, you know, just garner a whole catalog of people who think I'm one way or think I'm another way and are all totally wrong because we never really know a person. Their identity is such a shade of what they really are so it's okay it is okay and they're probably not even thinking about you anyway i mean most people are worried about what other people are thinking about them but you know guess what they're probably not thinking about you <laughs> no. yeah. and if they are it's for like 30 seconds and then they're off doing whatever it is they do you know mm-hmm. yeah we put a lot of importance in the identity that the world sees and accepts because we need it in order to be a part of this society. But I guess the thing I've learned most so far on my journey is that I can totally sidestep the 
expected way and genuinely impact people. I, I have had so many encounters with people who are raging and um, angry and, and they believe something about me based on a shirt or something else. And wow. the natural reaction would be to defend myself or to argue or to convince them of something or to call security. But if I just step outside of that, if I know that they are me, they are me, that this is all, we're all one. Yeah. If I just know that I know that they're their own person, they've got their own troubles and I treat them like I care. They have utterly dropped the, yeah. the charade. Absolutely. I, I, I recognize that with my customers. I mean, you know, I, you can't change the other person, but you know what? You can, you can change them by your reaction to them. How you treat them. Yeah. If it's genuine, people yeah. know. Listen, this whole thing, this surface stuff about how we come across to people, um, they see deeper. They, people can feel it. You know, you're genuine, whether you're genuine or you're BSing or you're a salesman and you're in sales mode, people can sense that. And when I, I noticed that, especially when I changed my sales process to just now, I don't sell anything except for comfort. Right. I sell mattresses. I have a mattress store. And I just I want, I, my intention when I go in that store is to help. I want to help them understand how to shop for a mattress. What they buy is their business. Yeah. Right. But if you go with the, the, the intentions, I think people are feeling that in every moment. So, yeah. yeah, when you're out and about and you change the way you approach every encounter, people react differently to you. You're putting off. They can't help but react differently to you. You're absolutely right. It's so true. They do physically feel it. It is. And they wouldn't recognize it. Like if you stopped them in the middle and said, mm. why didn't you smile at me this time? But you did the last time. They wouldn't <laughs> know to say, well, this time you were thinking, I bet she's not going to smile. Right. You know, they don't know that. But there's something about you or the aura or the situation that just generates their mistrust of the smile and they turn away or their own things. Like you said, they're not always thinking about you. It's not always about you, but I have noticed so many times that just instead of worrying about what they're all thinking and doing, I am just concerned with my, my intention being in the moment, wanting to help without, conditions love without conditions experience yeah. without conditions there is a there is a palpable shift i could be frowning and have my back to them but if i have open arms energetically and i have no expectations and i just unconditionally accept them they're coming up and patting me on the back and saying hey how are you Oh, I remember you, and it's just amazing. It really is. I mean, it's, I've, I've told friends here lately, it's just amazing when you have a customer saying, man, I just love hanging out with you. You know, mm -hmm. it, that's that's nice to have that. And when it becomes consistent, it's not just one person. It's a lot of people. It's like everywhere you go. But, you know, what's interesting about what you said, I can relate with, and I heard a definition. I had, In fact, until just a few weeks ago, I didn't even really truly understand the definition of enlightenment. I didn't know what it meant, but I heard a definition that I like, and it resonates quite well with me, and I'd like to have your opinion. He said, 
if you're sometimes aware, as what you've just described, then you're on the path. But if you're always aware, you're enlightened. Your opinion. I guess that does uh, coincide with, see, I've differentiated between awakened and enlightened for this very reason, because when I was in the enlightened state, there was no, there was just no mistaking. There was no character. Can you describe that? I was, I had access to everyone, to everyone's, um, memories were as now as any now could be. So if I, if I wanted to see this room through the eyes of my coffee table and know all of its memories, I could, if I wanted to call a death from a thousand years ago, the memory of that was as now as now is it's all happening now. Mm. And I would, I would guess that what God, what differentiates quote unquote God from us is that God is perceiving it all and is it all at once. Um, But there is every variation and degree of perception of this. And so in my experience, I was fully one. I knew that I was everyone and I could mindfully pull Um, memories and knowledge and intuition, whatever I focused on, I could instantly know and perceive and remember and do. Um, But it was still like focus based. I I had to want to see something to see it, to be it, even though I knew I was simultaneously everything and I could feel that I was everyone. I had like, I, I guess there was a point where I was the whole room and everything in the room, but it still felt there was, it still felt like there was a limitation. Nevertheless, all that enlightened. But when I came back, when I came back, I was, there was, I remember the moment that the inability to perceive separation switched off. Um, I was in the car with my parents and there was no difference between us. I was each of them in the car. If I, said something, I was my dad responding. And then I was my mom responding. It was like, I was the whole situation sort of finger puppeting it. Right. And then, and then, you know, I was sort of playing with it because I knew it was pointless. And I knew that while I was them, I didn't know this, this experience. And so like, I would say, ask me a question, like I'm God, hurry up before it goes away. (laughs) And, um, my mom finally, finally was like, fine, I'll ask a question. She asked a question. The second I went to think about it, the connection disappeared and I was me again, like struggling for oh that. Oh my instant. goodness, the timing. Yeah. Holy moly. Well, I guess we have to tell everybody what this, how this happened. And I'm glad you explained this first because when you listen to this and you listen to your wisdom and the lessons that you've learned – it you know if we told people what happened and how you got here in the first place they would have made a judgment before they heard it my hope is yeah. that someone has heard what you said and became intrigued by it and then to learn the process which i guess you could share that now but if you can think about this folks this he in one moment he is Rick Wade the you know, well not, without all of this knowledge 
And then all of a sudden he has this experience. And then let's talk about what the after effect and what you carried with you. But yeah, tell them the story. Well, I would, I, I think maybe we should just jump to the after effect. I, and I, I'm willing to tell the story. Again, sure. Let's do that. I, topic that you mentioned, um, enlightenment in that moment, I was enlightened, but afterwards I was awakened. I was a character again. I had all my memories and I like, I can't even describe the weightlessness when you're in the enlightened state and there is no fear, no apprehension, no insecurity. I got naked in front of my mom and my dad. I pulled my pants down out on the street not because I needed to or wanted to. It was just because my parents knew that I would never, ever do something like that. And I needed to show them what it meant to be tr- so truly everyone in that moment that I was literally just flashing myself. And I needed that some wow. sort of fire so they understood. I realized they couldn't possibly – like to them, I was just crazy. But – I hope hopefully that illustrates the weightlessness and the lack of fear. Like it would be interesting if the police showed up right now because I'm just them and I go through a standoff from all those perspectives. But when it shut off, I can suddenly perceive separation again. I'm suddenly remembering things with the limitations that I have from my life, with the um, intelligence that I have. But I remember everything that happened. I remember that state. I remember the difference. I remember the Mm. knowing. And um, there is still some connection to it. Um, And especially closer to the experience, I had several waking experiences that were totally like, enlightened state again or some portion of it but those sort of slowed down um but i can never not be awakened i could never forget this i could never be afraid of death or worried what someone i so now i'm in i'm awakened let me me just say i want to add to that rick i do not believe once you have awakened there is no going back there's, you learn, you gain some information that there's, even though you may, as some people might call backslide or whatever, you never forget those moments. You know what that is. It's a lesson that you have to learn personally and you can't forget it. It's impossible. But continuing your, your, the after effects of um, this experience. Yeah. So I am, I am, I am awakened. I can never let go of that. I think it was because of the combination of having had a near-death experience a few months before the awakening. Um, But for whatever reason, the experience I had was so certain, so infinite, just so in, it doesn't matter any, you know, what if it's an hallucination? You don't understand. That's a part of all infinity. I couldn't possibly explain it, but it was so certain that yes, I can sink back into you know, bouts of depression or, um, you know, worry about life or desire to do something more or disappointment from whatever. But it is always on the back of my mind that I'm making the choice to do that. It's, it's never, I am always one moment away from choosing to drop anything I'm talking about or anything I'm worried about or anything I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and we all are, Rick. We all are. Every single person. You can sit and you can capture a thought 
You can hang on to it for as long as you want, a day or two, two months, three months, a year, 10 years, whatever. But when you when you decide to let it go, it happens in an instant. We all do this. Yeah. It's that, that yeah. split second that you decide that you're going to think about something else. You're going to define that differently. You will feel differently. Am I right? There are certainly thoughts that people go through that are um, – that they don't want, that they feel like they can't escape. And I think the trick there is that their desire to escape it is the reason they can't because they are giving it that power, that validity to believe they can't escape something is to say, this is a monster. And in our society, we have actually increased that sort of, diagnosis that's sort of i am powerless uh it's a disease it's something and i totally get that somehow that's related to the way we define things say like if you uh, don't forget you tell somebody don't forget to bring such and such to say something like remember to bring it's the way you set up your mind is what gives the result that makes sense to you yeah for sure but i think that it is see if i if i say somebody that uh, say to somebody that is in a depression that they could choose to get out of it they or or something along those lines like count to 10 or something like that we all know that information like everyone responds i know i know but right and it's because we have heard it somewhere it's almost a cliche in our society but we have almost immediately discounted it because we have decided that the it the depression the disease is more than our consciousness mm. it is effect of the brain of the body of something and it is it is the it is inconquerable and it's just not true. And even if there's something we are forced to live with, like schizophrenia, for instance, there are ways to be, to have a wonderful life under those circumstances. There are ways to make the most of those circumstances. It's just that we're in a really young developmental phase in our society. And so we haven't quite. How do you think someone with schizophrenia does that? Well, everything is consciousness. A dream is the best way to describe it. And so everything that's ever happened is all held within our consciousness in just like a different part. Like you've heard the notion that everything is right here, but just overlapped and we can't perceive it. That's because it's held within our awareness and we're just sort of not aware of that like forgetting a memory like the memory that's in your brain but that you don't know you have isn't farther away you're just not aware of it right now so it's in the same place as all the other memories but it only exists when you realize it right Mm -hmm. so reality is that way it's all your your brain. And so he walks in, someone walks into an orange room and the part of their mind that most of us don't have access to that remembers that they've been a million other people who have been in an orange room 
connect that consciousness to that person who is in an orange room, similar to this, to the person who's in the room right now. So you hear a voice like, oh, that's not the same orange as blah, 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 or something else. And it's an aspect of infinite consciousness that relates to something you're going through or whatever that, you know, we just, we sort of write off and the explanations that we could create a separate character, for instance, for like split personality uh, is absolutely true. I mean, that's essentially what our reality is. It's yeah. one mind dissociating infinitely. I think we all have multiple personalities anyway, you know, at different yeah. moments. I'll give you an example of something I noticed when I was in my early 20s. Now, sure. Depending upon who we're hanging around, that affects the entire room. So let's say, for example, if I'm hanging with a best friend, my personality is going to be a certain way. But if I add Rick Way into the group, now it's a combination of how I behave around him versus when I also hang around you. So it's a combination of that. Now let's enter my parents into the room. It changes the dynamic even more. It's that everybody is affecting everybody in the room. And your personality changes according to who's in the room. Uh-oh. Hey, you still there? Yes. Did you fall over or something? <laughs> that was I loud. I didn't drop anything. I was just going through the hallway. I guess I closed the door. Um, I see. <clears throat> it was very loud. It sounded like you fell over or something. I'm glad you're still alive. <laughs> no, I, I didn't fall over. But I heard your point that, you know, every every time a new person comes into the room, the you change it. Yep. The truth is believing that we have one personality is just it's it's a lie. It's a belief. It's uh, you know, we're all building identities, but we could all be infinite things. We could all be good at infinite things, care about infinite things. There's no one right path except the one that's under your feet. We are all ultimately the one that is everything. And so there could never be a particular arrangement of characteristics that could describe us, that could that could fill every hole in us. Yeah, it's true. How would you how do you describe the oneness? Well, it's like I describe it from the one comes the two and the many, like Ram Das teaches. What how do you how would you describe it? Well, if I close my eyes and I imagine myself as another character and then close my eyes and imagine myself as another character. There's three aspects of me that exist when I go to them. And this consciousness is doing that, except all of those aspects exist simultaneously. It's, um, see, we see time as if it's from start to finish, but when you have infinity, every possible frame of time is a part of infinity. There's nothing that could happen in the future that doesn't exist in infinite data. So time is really just us moving from this cocktail of possibilities to another frame of possibility. And all possibility exists at once, but we're focusing on one and the other. And that that being locked into an arrangement of possibility is what creates our perception of time. Yeah. The one is really just imagine a mind and its reality is entirely its own dream. And so it, 
it imagines itself in every possible scenario. So imagine he wants to experience bouncing a red ball and then it wants to get that experience in every possible shade of that experience. So that means also being the bystander that watches the ball bouncing. That bystander doesn't know that he's also the bouncer because that that isn't a part of the experience. That isn't a part of that particular frame of possibility. And so it's one mind that is imagining both points, but as the characters, it's unaware that they are both people. But there's another aspect of this infinite mind that is both of those people at once, because that is another unique frame of perspective on a red ball bouncing. It's different to be the bouncer, it's different to be the observer, and it's different to be both the bouncer and the observer at once. And it's different to be all of humanity on planet Earth at once. And so every single possible perspective exists simultaneously and is all on mind. So with my description of the at least this the observation of the possibility that God, this infinite mind or whatever we call this, is we are fragments of it experiencing itself as us. Yeah, we are it. It what yeah. what it is is every possible experience. And so yeah. we are one of those cocktails of experience. And still unfolding. Yeah. yeah. But I mean everything exists already. So while we're in this, we're it's like a movie. I mean, we per, it's no different for us having free will or not having free will because we are making the decisions, but we just happen to be in the frame of possibility where every decision we would have made is the one we're in, you know. Yeah. And it seems like you you sort of see this like a computer. It's it's just just based on the experience I have, it's the easiest way to imagine it if you're to, to digest it, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you're a computer that creates its own virtual world and then experiences that world in every possible concept um simultaneously, then it would also have layers upon layers. So it would experience X, Y, and Z experiences, and then it would experience X and Y, X and Z, Z and Y, and then it would experience all of them at once. And these are layers of perspective that are all happening at once by the same mind. And Do, do you think each fragment of it needs to go through all of those as well, or is it a collective? It is. It's both. So... Wow. Every fragment leads to every other. So you you will always have a sense of self going from one place to another. But, okay, you look up into the night sky and you see a twinkling star, right? The path that you're on will eventually lead you to being that twinkly star tonight in 7,000 years. So in 7,000 years, you've made a million bajillion different decisions and eventually leads you to experience what it's like to be that star. And you are that star right now that you're looking at. And that thing that you're looking at is you in 7,000 years when you become it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I've thought before that uh, we're made of the same stuff, but I definitely have never been to that level. Holy moly. It's a winding path. We're all on this one path, but the one path includes every possible 
alternative of that path. And, you know, some of them you can experience in shades. So I'm assuming you're, hold on, I'm going through the hallway again, so it'll get better. (laughs) Okay. So I'm assuming you're thinking, so that means I have to go through my life and then go through every variety of my life again. Like, won't that get boring? Well, no, actually what I was saying is like, um, you know, I, I am the, 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 the tyrant and I'm also the saint and I've done both and everything in between. Yes. Yes. So do each of us, does each fragment need to go through that or is it that the collective of all of that? Each fragment is you going through that. Like you are that fragment. Right. Oh my goodness. Say (laughs) that again. I, I love that. Eat, there is there are no fragments each fragment is that point in your path that's right too that is absolutely right i've never thought about it like that i love that yeah it's see that's the difficulty it's trying to figure out the thing to say to to paint the picture and i say it in- we are that all of that it, we yeah i mean for heaven's sake that's the way it is say it again <laughs> Yeah, right. We are all of it. We are all of it. We are every bit of it at every level. And from as far as we can see and much further than we've ever imagined, it's all of that. And, you know, that also leads to the whole acceptance thing. Because if you're somebody that is punching me in the stomach and telling me to, you know, go climb a tree, you are me a thousand years ago. So I couldn't be me experiencing this and getting to whatever heights I eventually get to in my life, unless I was that guy punching me in the stomach. And so to even spend one second hoping that he stops or that he's different or that he's whatever, I am essentially, it's like the worst time travel movie where you go back and you change a single thing and you never get born. Every single person is exactly where they need to be for you to be who you are right now, fixed in this moment. If any yeah. of them changed anything, you wouldn't be you. None of this right. exist. Yep, that's exactly right. Yep, every turn matters. Yeah. From my view and my experience and where I landed, I'm close to where you are. To think that I went this long way to get here and you got it in an instant is fascinating to me. It's just mind blowing. In fact, I mean, honestly, Rick, I don't, I don't even know. Like if, if everything had landed in my lap when I first started searching, I'm not sure I could have digested it all. Well, you know, I think again, going back to Ram Dass talking about it's uh, when spiritual matters. And I think most spiritual teachers teach this to some degree or another that, you need to acclimate yourself. It's like a diver going down. You know, he needs to acclimate himself to the different depths, but you were plunged to the bottom of the pool, like immediately. And I can't, I'm just, that's just overwhelming information. Seems like it would be very, very difficult for nearly anyone to digest. Right. But because see, it's one of two things, either, I was able to endure that because I was already you and had already gone through a lifetime where I had figured most of it out on my own, which was everything I needed to prepare me to learn it all at once. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Or again, you're in, you, you wouldn't have even gotten a hold of that if you weren't ready for it to some level or having learned it instantly. Um, 
And, and I would argue that I could not possibly if I wasn't ready. But anyway, having learned it instantly and now going through this life, it paved the way for you who are my future life to learn it on his own without any assistance. You know, there's no way to know who's first or second. You know, sometimes it, it seems more obvious, but um, there's just no way to know because we're basing it on our own definitions of progress. And yes, yes, I got you know you've heard my little little thing here. It's about the shades of gray. Yes, your shade of gray, mm-hmm. but it's the just a one shade of many shades, of, and they're all a part of the same continuum. Yeah, there's no disconnection at any level, and I think that's where you and I first connected. I was we were having that discussion, and you were just adding so much to it that most people couldn't. So yeah. I knew I knew I'd found a gem when I found you. Same, same, man. Thank but let's you. tell everybody about your experience and how this all came about. It's quite the story. Okay. I was, it was 2019. I, interestingly enough, I was, I had gotten to a place on my own where I felt very, Like I was scratching at this sort of understanding. I was looking at things differently for the first time. I had this peace about me. I had quit smoking, quit vaping. I was, everything was so perfect. And then an old high school friend um, needed a place to stay. And my roommate was moving out and I... I knew it was not a good idea because I knew the stuff he was into, but I was in this very giving, peaceful, you know, trying anything place. And so I told him he could move in and he, um, he tortured us for months and he was just, he was an addict. He was, um, steroid user. He was, his behavior was very narcissistic. And so he would just blast music and leave doors open and make huge messes and demand unreasonable things and wake us up in the middle of the night, uh, begging for rides, uh, stealing things, just every imaginable thing. Good Lord. Everyone in the apartment was just on utter edge. I, I, um, as a result of the stress, I was getting fired from my, I was hired by an app to make comedy sketches and I was getting fired because I missed the deadline for April fools. And it was just awful. And so it reached the tipping point and I decided to try and evict him when he left the keys in the door one day. And as soon as I brought it up, he attacked me and beat me up and on my back and strangled me. Good Lord. And it was, he did it for a long time. He would choke me to the point of believing I was dead. Then he would release for half a second so I could gasp and then do it again. And after the fourth or fifth time, I was so exhausted and so out of energy and out of fight that I just, I, I had no more air. I had no more, nothing. I just said, I'm dying. I'm, I'm dead. And I let go and accepted. And in that moment, I wasn't me anymore. I was him choking me. I, wow. I wasn't me in his body. He, we didn't swap bodies. I had, I had no memory of being me. I was just him choking me 
um, like my focus shifted. Like I was always him, but my focus shifted. You're looking through his eyes at, at you? me, but I didn't know it was me. It was just this, you know, stupid redhead I wanted to kill or approve. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so I'm him and I hear myself whisper, you were right. I'm sorry. You can stay. And I got a, a lot of satisfaction from that. So I let go. And the second I let go, I was me again, gasping for air, running down the stairs. The police were already outside. He was arrested, restraining order. But for the next, for months, it was just, it, it was PTSD. It was feeling like I didn't, well, yeah, that I just let someone kill me. And then struggling with this, insane experience and, and digesting it and trying to yeah. understand. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, I had a lot of realizations in that experience. Um, one was that there was no shade of life that I didn't want back. You, you, we labor under the assumption that there are things we hate and that we would be happy if they disappeared forever or memories or traumas. And when you're on the verge of death and you want to live instantly you just know that all of those things are perfect that you would take any one of them back that you, oh. if it meant you could be alive you would take back that horrible failure that embarrassment that broken leg whatever because it's life and you want that and that by itself was huge but then recognizing that maybe I was Mike and I was me and there, I couldn't piece that together, but it freaked me out. So I started searching. Yeah, that's deep. I started searching for answers and I went down the path of, of psychedelics, uh, very particular strong psychedelics that I had never done before. And I had very in, insane experiences. I had reality like what were you doing? Um, I learned to extract my own NNDMT. And the biggest difference between that and LSD, which I had done in college, was that LSD was always like an overlay on reality. I was always me in this space, and now I could see pretty colors. But DMT broke apart reality. You, Goodness. It was a... It was a huge jump suddenly the illusion that was moving was reality itself and you got the sense that there you were always hallucinating reality um and it's that just sort of big jump so even if you have the simplest of experiences on nndmt you get that sense that this is a dream um even if you don't admit it but it was still very subjective and I didn't get the answers I was looking for. So I, I was getting ready to give up. And then I was contacted by a research chemical company in China who had seen my comedy videos and wanted me to make a promotional video for them in exchange for a free synthetic. And they said it was the most powerful thing that they had, that it was, um, an, a four ACO DMT analog, like some specific formula, some proprietary formula. So I agreed. I, t I received it 
Christmas morning and then I took it Christmas night and it was a slow burn. The first thing I recognized was a new thickness to reality. It felt like a connection, like an intuition. Like if I started imagining things or questioning things that the answers I got or that I intuited were real or right. Like yeah. there was a distinct, I say a thickness, but it, it just felt like I could pull truth from the air if I went down the right rabbit hole. And the first thing I perceived was three different people. Um, maybe it was two, maybe it was just the three of us. I, for, I kind of forget that part. I know that there was a medieval guy and a future guy. And I got the distinct impression that they were past and future versions of me and that we were all had all taken something and were meeting in this bubble that crossed our timelines that crossed our time. And so we were wow. having a meeting from past and futures, maybe. Yeah. And it felt like a connected consciousness type thing, like wow. all realizing the same thing and thinking the same thing at the same moment. Like, could he be? Yes, he is. We were all talking with our own singular thoughts. It was very interesting. That is so amazing. Yeah. I can sort of feel that. Yeah, it was really cool. And like, you have to see how these breadcrumbs are starting to pile up. These, these little things that, that raise questions and you get like small answers, small things. And the more you go into them, the more you get. And so I, I started watching YouTube videos and I remember I, I saw this guy talking and he was he was talking and I, it, it brought up a memory where I remember, I think it was Shaman Oaks on YouTube, say something about how every person you encounter, that they were there in that moment to provide that experience and that lesson for you and that you were there in that moment to provide it for them. That every video I believe it. is meant for you in that moment. And I, I started asking how that could be possible, how that would uh, conflict with free will. How could a totally independent person's life um, be designed around mine? How, how could they be teaching me a lesson and still have free will or be independent, how, whatever. And then I was looking at this guy in the video and I started having flashbacks of the three of us, the, the, the past, future me versions um, and I, I had this thought, what if he's me in a past life? And I was like, but how is that possible? He's in my own time. <laughs> and wow. this simple question just started, the snowball started going faster and faster and bigger and bigger. So he's, he's me, even though he's in this time, what if everyone's me? And the second I thought that it was over, it was a click. It was sudden remembrance, sudden knowing like I had put the perfect, I had gotten the key finally in the hole and turned it just enough. So the thing popped open and all of a sudden I knew that was true. I knew that everyone was me in a past or future life. I started pacing. No, this can't, no, not this. No, not this. No, not this. I started, 
I had this terrifying feeling of of loneliness, of there's who who can I call to tell? No, that he's me. No, she's me. They're all me. Oh my God. I I this is the most terrifying time travel thing because anyone I choose to call, it already led to them being who they are. Like there's no getting out of this. I'm on a path right now, and everything I do to get off this path is me being on the path. Oh, oh my goodness. And eventually I let go, I accepted, and I was one. I was fully in it. And unfortunately, what happened? Okay, so I I was one, I was me, and suddenly I could perceive everything as everything. I knew that I was one. I knew that reality was in my mind, that every, that, that the God that everyone was looking for was me, was them. They didn't know it, but it was them. And that it was the only answer that ever made sense, that it answered all the suffering, all the unfairness. It was all perfect justice because the bully is bullying themselves. You know, the, the, the child who dies too young is you and is going to their wildest dreams because there's no death. There's no injustice. Everything is perfectly balanced and perfectly attuned and exactly unfolding exactly how it should be. And so you can't feel sorry for anyone. You can't, you can't be scared of anything. And then I started thinking of things that used to scare me like death and all of a sudden, I remembered and re-experienced hundreds of deaths. I had heart attacks. I killed people, stabbed them. I stabbed my own heart. I jumped out of a building. It's just every every thought that I had, I remembered the life where I did it. And, and I would wow. switch thoughts to then get the other ones. And it was clear that however I focused, I became that. And if I focused on a wider thing, I would become the wider thing. And... When I said unfortunately before, I made a mistake, I think. I, nothing's a mistake. But I decided to start trying to call people to tell them. And I, I kept getting answering machines. And, um, and I knew I would because as I was dialing, I, I was remembering from their perspective. Um, wow. And um, so... I called my mom and I, again, as I was dialing, I remembered being her and picking up and everything she would say. And it choked me up in the beginning because I knew that I was about to blow this thing, but I couldn't stop because I had always blown it right here by saying, mom, I'm you, mom, you're me. You don't understand. And every single word she said and every word I said, I knew it was coming before it would come. And I was experienced from both perspectives. So I was just like, I, I just continuously felt like this damn rat on a freaking wheel that, yeah, I was, I was realizing, remembering, being, and trying to escape and then remembering all at the same time. And so it was just this wild, but, um, at some point through the ridiculousness of just no, you know, my mom was this, she was this predictable NPC now in this game who was just like saying the hilarious, like, who's with you? How can I help you? We're going to be here. And I was just like laughing at like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh, we're going to do that. But, but I wasn't, I wasn't upset. There wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh no, not this. I was like, 
I knew it had to go this exact way. And so I was totally at peace about it. Why have you ever seen, um, Oh, uh, the thing with the blue guy who's like a God and can see the past and future at the same time, the watchman. But I mean, it was that, it was that sort of thing where like he knows the past and future, but he's still walking the path. And so like, you know, he knows something's going to happen, but he still cries out when it does happen as if he's surprised because he always cried out. He was always surprised, even though he always knew it was going to happen just like that. And so I just had this perfect peace, perfect euphoria. I wasn't worried about anything. I was playing this trippy thing where I was every single person and I knew what they were going to do. And I made myself a bowl of cereal and was just sort of fooling around as my parents were screaming toward my place in their car. And I had gotten my brother on a three-way call. And um, So did you feel any mania in those moments or you felt really clear-headed? I mean, was there – it doesn't sound like you had an ounce of fear. At all in any, any level of this. Absolutely uh, no fear. There was a, I can't even describe the euphoria. Like every single problem goes away. No pain. There have no anything. And then you're just everything. So it would be irrelevant if it did. If I had cancer in the liver and I was there and I was feeling it, it would still be euphoria because that's just a sensation and then I'm every sensation. And so there was no peace, but there there was no um, there was no depression or then the opposite mania. But there was like playing a little bit, um, like being. It, there was sort of a pointlessness about it, but at the same time, I knew I was on this path, and so I was. You know, my parents came, and so I had to say an explanation, and um, I knew everything I was going to say and everything they were going to do, but I. I, you know, I still <laughs> played the role. And so I had this really unique inside, outside, all around sort of perspective. That is fascinating. I mean, truly, man. And it's, it's fascinating because you describe it so well. I can see it happening. Oh, thanks, man. I, it's, <laughs> you got naked. And, yeah. You know, I, this is when all the nakedness went down. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. So my, my parents, they finally got there and, they wanted me to come out. They wanted me to be in their car in a, in a place that they controlled. And so they wanted to, me to come outside. And I, I was just, you know, I was brimming. I was calling my dad's son and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, oh, I would love to see the look on your parents' faces. Yeah, I, <laughs> I hope you'd give a million dollars for that. Remembering being my dad's professor and my dad's father and, and all this stuff. And so there was no like authority. There was no difference. There was, you know, no need. He was my child. I knew. What do your parents say about that now? They, the, my mom perceived it fairly simply that I was out of my mind. And, um, but I remember everything and I, I know everything I did and I was totally in my mind. I was just showing them and I know, you know, it didn't translate and I knew it wouldn't translate, but I was showing them I guess the intention behind the act was to show them the serious, uh, the utter lack of identity, humanity anymore, that I could do and experience anything in this moment that would normally freak a human out. And I could know anything in this moment. And I was saying things that um, I don't know why I didn't like go more. I know why. 
but I, what I was going to say is I don't know why I didn't go more in the direction of like, okay, I'm, I'm my dad's father. Let me say something that he will know. He'll prove to him. Yeah. And the, the answer is that your intentions, like I was me, but I was also everyone. And so your intentions in that state, they stop, you stop needing to prove it. It, it, it becomes because you're seeing all of of the future and the past and everything unfolding at once. And you're such a tiny little blip in that. And you never proved anything to your father or anything to your mom. And so like, you don't even question that or care because it doesn't matter because you're infinite. Every single weight that has ever been on your shoulder, including your shoulder itself existing is gone. Wow. It's just, it doesn't matter. And so I was just, you know, I was going with the waves and not even, recognizing them like just okay i'm going up and down now and up and down and i was playing the part and doing the doing the night that was supposed to happen and well forgive me if i if i've asked this and you've answered i don't remember how long did this uh, experience last um i would say you know seven eight hours i holy the, the cow. that's yeah the awakening was only probably three hours um that's a long time yeah. intensity for yeah. three hours. I, I imagine now that I'm back to limited individual and I wish I had done a million things. I imagine now like what would have happened if I had been able to get off the track that I couldn't possibly have gotten off of. And I knew that calling my parents would screw things up. So I decided instead to meditate and go deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole. And how much could I have learned? How much could I have done? Um, but that's just so silly. Like there's no other way it could have happened. It happened perfectly that way. And there's another me in a future life that did have the presence of mind, thanks to my lack of presence of mind, to do that in their life. Let's, so, let's give it eight hours. It's all you come out of this. What's going through your head? Well, I'm getting all the familiar um, pings of should I be embarrassed? Should I be this? And those are there's like a second layer of everything. Every every thought, every perception. There's always like this overlay now that is aware that it doesn't matter, that it's all perfect, that it's all happening, that I'm every villain and every hero, that I wrote every book, acted in every movie, that I've been to everything and nothing, and, and that none of it, that, that everything I could possibly want to do, I've done and will do, and everything I could possibly want to avoid to do will happen. So it just doesn't matter if it happens in this life or whatever. And so, but I realized that I'm here still, so I must still need something or, you know, need to learn something or whatever. And it's just not a good life to, you need, like you said before, you, you need to play a role. You need to play a game. You need to go on rides. And so you don't have to get stuck either. You know, yeah. you, you can play all kinds of roles if you're ready yeah. to change. In fact, we're doing it all the time anyway. You're right. right? That that's always been my temperament, my entire life. Let me tell you, Rick. Listen, from a, I'll give you an example from my experience, and I've done it my entire professional career on the radio. Mm -hmm. Is when when that microphone comes on, you turn on. I became a different person. Even now, when this microphone gets popped into my face, I become a little bit different. I talk a little bit different. Yeah. Right. But when I would turn on that microphone, I was that. But when that microphone would come off, there were times when I was sick throwing up in a trash can mm. but we cut that microphone on 
and you would never be able to tell that I had just been throwing up. Yeah. I might felt like crap, but I was throwing up, but I could sound like a million bucks because you become that character. Yeah. And we're all doing that all the time. We're playing all kinds of different roles. You're right. Everywhere we go, we're playing roles. When I become a salesman, my mentality is to help, right? I walk into being a helper. When I come back home, I'm working on my business. I step into becoming a businessman, a marketer. Yeah. Right. And when I'm meditating, I'm becoming quiet within. It's just different. We're playing different roles. Those are all roles, including the meditation. Do you practice meditation or prayer? I, I do practice meditation. Not as much as I, not as much as I think um, that would be beneficial to me, but Hey, listen, it's not for everybody. Some people just, they're just not, that's not their thing. And that it's not even necessary. Uh, that was, that was going to bring me to another question. I'm, I'm beginning to like, some people will do tarot cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to understand that from, from my experience, I don't need tarot cards. I'm able to sense the right things to be doing. Mm-hmm. And when you can follow those, well, I call them energies. I know that's not your favorite word, but I just follow the energy of that. And it's generally the right, right path to be taken. Yeah. I've gotten gotten really good at that, and I think you are good at that in a different way. Tarot cards and like witches' spells and things like that—they don't have power in themselves. The power is in your belief and association. So, if you infuse meaning into something and you say this means this and this means this, your belief in the meaning and your belief in the power manifests that meaning and that power. See, that to me is the energy. That's what you've just described to me in the way I see it and identify it. I think you and I might describe what the word energy means differently, but that's what I see going, you know, that it, that emotion yeah. is what creates the energy. And yeah. the energy is carrying a weight of intention. And the intention gives back to us according to, you know, well, to the intention. You're up. <laughs> I, I think you're describing um, in a deeper way exactly the way i see things i think you've nailed it in so many ways rick i mean that's why i didn't want people to make a judgment about you about the path that you took Hmm. to get to these understandings because i think a lot of people would write you off as he's a druggie Mm -hmm. right yeah but what's interesting to me is it is a drug however the information that you gain by using that drug is very similar to the area that I landed by coming the long path. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's validity to your lessons learned. And I think it's maybe even deeper than I have been able to manage to get to in these many decades of searching. It's different for sure. And there are deeper elements that you have access to that I haven't reached yet too. And it's just that perspective, but you know, I think it's really interesting. The people that say, for instance, that doing drugs, that drugs are an unnatural method, right? That perspective is literally reinforcing their sleep. Right. It really is. Because the notion that anything is unnatural is laughable. Everything is you. The, the, The cigarette, the drug, the everything, they're all... It's all connected. Yeah. It's an imaginary sensory package that has an effect and the effect is always within your consciousness. And so these things allow you to see things from a different perspective, whether that perspective is valuable to your life or just recreational, it's, it doesn't matter that 
but that's right. Are you know Ram Dass endorsed it? Alan Watts. They you know sometimes they say that nothing is the answer because the answer is you. It's within you. It's an it's a realization. It's an acceptance. But there are a lot of different doors that you can take to open perspectives that you yeah. can get other ways. Sometimes it's experiential and sometimes it's, you know, quote unquote, unnatural. But- I've done mushrooms and I've had some high doses of mushrooms where I've had my biggest experiences. And I've been doing mushrooms since I was in college, but I didn't for a, a huge gap, many decades, actually, that I didn't do them since college. But in college. I used them to party. I didn't know how to use them. I just, if we could get them, we would eat them, enjoy them. But I was only doing like a couple of grams. But then when I learned how to use mushrooms in a spiritual sense with an intention, not just a party type thing, not that there's anything wrong with that, people that want to do it. I think when you do it with that intention, exactly what you need to learn is brought to the surface. Yeah. Rick, listen, this conversation has just been awesome. You you know how to describe this stuff. You clearly feel it. You know, this is a part of your being. I don't know how you sleep at night. But as you know, my uh, most common question that I ask on this podcast, I think I know your answer to some degree. What do you think happens when we die? It's a shift in focus. There's no stop to our awareness or our consciousness. We're in a dream and in this Imagine being in heaven, right? And everything, everything uh, changes based on your intentions and your thoughts. And so you can imagine being in worlds of flying and worlds of, of you know, being a, an alien or being a wizard or being a sun or whatever you want. And after a while, when that gets kind of old and you feel like you've having all the answers and all the power is no fun. You say, okay, next, next heaven experience. I want, I want to forget that I'm all powerful. I want to have no power. I want to have limitations and mystery. And I want to think that I'm going to die. And so in heaven, we suddenly are here and we believe that we are these, these limited individuals on a physical plane. That's totally different from heaven, but it's just an experience we've decided to have. And we're playing out that experience. And when it's over, we're back in our, you know, full consciousness where everything we think manifests. Once again, you sort of describe how I see that. I mean, when, when you, people talk about heaven, if there's a heaven, it's right here. Mm-hmm. It's We're here now. Yeah. We're already there. This is it. <laughs> it's just different realms of this thing. I, I do want to clarify that ayahuasca is DMT. It's edible DMT. Yeah, but it's it's a different way. It's isn't it? I mean, I'm probably have this wrong, but it's um, synthetic versus being root and leaf driven. Well, the DMT that I made was root driven. What ayahuasca is is two ingredients. It's the root that has the DMT, which is what I made, and it's a secondary thing called an MAOI, an um, something oxidase inhibitor. And it, it simply enables you to digest it. And so they mix these two things together and then you can eat DMT instead of smoke it and you have a much longer experience. And it's Would you recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason that I took the thing I took and had my awakening was because DMT, smokable DMT was such a freight train, was such an immediate 
face everything you've yeah. been afraid of and everything you've ever wanted. How are you different now, Rick, than you were before you did it? Mm-hmm. I'm not Rick. I'm not Patrick. I'm not. I'm not anyone. Every single thing that I, I'm everyone. Every single thing that I could be is a story. And so now when I engage in things, I'm playing, I'm, I'm going to work to experience a hard day at work. And if I'm stressful or my feet hurt, I am simultaneously so grateful to be experiencing that because it's just another interesting experience. I wouldn't want to go through infinity and eternity without experiencing a sore foot after 10 hours of standing at work. Because what's the what is the point of bliss if it isn't a respite from suffering, you know? Do you, do you have any wares you want to promote have ways people can get in touch with you? Well, my my name on Facebook for the time being is Rick Way. I'm I you can always text me or email me. My my email is inner piece of cake, piece spelled the P E A C E, inner piece of cake at gmail.com. So if you want to message me, I am always I'll always get back to you. But I've started um, asking I've started charging for like phone calls. I say started, but I've had a few where People have paid me for them once they're satisfied customers. Um, just because why the hell not? I felt uh, I have a money back guarantee where like it's $20 for an hour conversation. And I just hear what they're saying. And I I tell them most people already know these things. And I, I tell them, I remind them what they forgot. The, the simple, the simple truths and the simple beauties you know, they're spending all their time focusing on all of the hurdles and they're not stacking up those little victories. They're not reading that chapter in the book or washing that dish and feeling happy about those little things. And so I listen to them. I talk to them. I give them some advice. I remind them that they're amazing and they're perfect. And if they feel like I've given them what they were looking for. Then they, they pay me the 20 bucks. Oh man. That sounds like a bargain to me, Rick. I mean, you know, I've mentioned this to you before and and I should reiterate how much I admire your thought process. I believe that many people would benefit from hearing what you have to say. Now, I'm not saying I believe that everybody should go out and do DMT or any kind of psychedelic for that matter. I'm just saying the knowledge that you gain through this process is impressive. It is to me because I landed in a similar spot coming from a very different path. Well, thank you again, Rick. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. My name is Russ Johnson, and it's all connected. Have you had an unusual spiritual experience? Tell us about it. Call now at 864-259-2599. That's 864-259-2599. Or contact Russ on his website at russjohnson.com.